I am Chris Klein, director of Butterfly Ridge Conservation Center in Southeast Ohio, and this is Ridge Notes. So this is Chris Klein, and this is Ridge Notes. And recently I uh, interviewed Gail Morris of the Southwest Monarch Study. She's the coordinator of the study. And I spoke to her over Zoom about monarchs, not only in the desert southwest, but just kind of nationally as well, and got her take on what's happening uh, in the world of monarchs here uh, currently. And in all honesty, we ended up talking a, a fair bit longer than what I was expecting, which I guess makes sense when you're chatting with somebody you've known for almost 20 years. And so what we're going to do is uh, I'll play you the first part of that interview today, and then we'll share the second part of that interview on our next episode. So sit back and enjoy the, the thoughtful comments from Gail Morris of the Southwest Monarch Study. So this is Chris Klein, the director of Butterfly Ridge Butterfly Conservation Center and the author of the Ridge Notes podcast. And I am here via Zoom chatting with Gail Morris, coordinator of the Southwest Monarch uh, Study. And I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of weird. I've known Gail for... Uh, I'm not sure how many years, it's several, we'll put it that way. And um, she actually took over the Southwest Monarch study from me back in the day when I was coordinating all of that. But uh, I did want to talk to Gail on the podcast to kind of get an update about what's happening with monarchs in Arizona and kind of in general across the country. So Gail, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. Happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. So once again, I know the answer to this question, but I know my listeners probably do not. So what exactly is the Southwest Monarch Study? <laughs> I love that. I think you should be answering this. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Klein started the Southwest Monarch Study uh, based in Arizona, but also uh, tagging monarchs in uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, and the deserts of California. Uh, 2003, we're always looking back, is it 2003, 2004? Because it always takes a while to get started, right? That's so, right, that's right, right. 2003. So, <laughs> right, so we have long-term data uh, about changes in the monarch population we've observed as under Chris especially, we really expanded in Arizona and got a good feel of what was happening monarch-wise here. And since then, we've um, really put a lot of effort into Utah and Nevada especially, but um, New Mexico also has jumped in extensively with tagging. So do you, like with Nevada, is it all of Nevada, all of Utah, or is it just like the southern half? No, it's the entire state. Oh, okay. In fact, most of our taggers, um, interestingly, in Utah are in the northern part of the state. Oh, really? Um, yeah, they, that's our main group of tagger, taggers, and our recoveries are mainly from that part as well. Um, but Nevada, yeah. it's, it's, and we've actually had most of our recoveries from the Reno area, mm -hmm. people who tag there. 
uh, we've had sightings in the Las Vegas area. They almost look at themselves as two states, you know, the north and the south, yeah. because yeah. of the difference in the climate, you know, there. Yeah, but we get sightings in uh, the Las Vegas area. In fact, we should have already heard of monarchs coming through there this oh. spring and have not yet. It could be delayed or we'll have to see what happens. So there, with so much activity, so many volunteers helping tag and, and site and stuff there in Northern Nevada, is that more of an issue of population, you know, people looking for monarchs, or is that more of an issue of habitat? You know, Northern Nevada has just has better habitat for monarchs than Southern Nevada. That's a good question. I really don't know. We have um, traveled to Las Vegas and uh, led several workshops there. Their master gardener program in um, Las Vegas is, is a big push for growing milkweed. And whenever they see uh, monarchs, they let us know and invite people to come in and to see what can happen by growing the right plants in the right place. They've actually done some studies on the different milkweeds of Nevada and nearby areas to see what draws monarchs more. So it's it may be just pure numbers, but the people that we get sightings from are people that are more naturalists, as you would expect, that are out sure. in the desert washes there sure. that see yeah. them come through. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Has has Monarch Studies data been published anywhere? I mean, is there a way that anybody who's listening, they could say, oh, that sounds interesting. I would like to look at their data. How, how could they do that? Right. Well, um, as you know, because you're one of the co-authors, we published one paper <laughs> several years ago in the Journal of the Lepidoptera Society, a peer-reviewed journal, consistently and trying to get back to writing our newest data. So hopefully it could be, be published by the end of this year, if not sooner. Now, I know something I'm, I'm kind of pleased with every time I look at it, and that is the migration map. <laughs> so what, what is Southwest Monarch Studies contribution to the migration map that everybody looks at? Right. I think um, a lot of it was because of your um, insight, your wisdom to set up the study and be open-minded. We don't know what's happening here. And it shows that we still don't know 100% what's happening here. But we can say that monarchs from Arizona migrate in the fall to both the California coast and to Mexico, the same overwintering sites that uh, monarchs from east uh, of the Rockies migrate to. And I think we need to keep reinforcing our wording with that. You know, uh, we say studies have shown it's all one population, and then we talk about east monarchs and west monarchs. And I've been right. trying to change my wording to say, the Eastern range, the Western range, because uh -huh. that's really what we're seeing. So the fall tagging has shown that, or our fall tagging uh, from Arizona has also shown that some monarchs really never make it to an overwintering site. They like the Palm Springs area and they'll spend the winter there. A lot <laughs> of know? people like the Palm Springs area. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if anything else, that's kind of, um, up over the last two, three years. So that's an interesting thing. Why didn't that show up earlier when you were overseeing Southwest or is that a new trend? Um, right. you, you know, it 
changing climates, hotter winters that they don't go as far, or the falls are warmer. And so they're able, when they are closed and they're still in that migration window, they're late, but they can go so far before they say I've gone enough. We don't know. Right. The other part that's really exciting to me is what's happening from tagging in Utah. Um, one of the very first uh, recoveries there was uh, only a 58 mile recovery that went from the Ogden area, but it, that monarch flew to the southeast. So it was seen um, uh, at a wildlife refuge. We don't know if it continued on or not, but the, the direction and the distance was very interesting because it was during the time of peak migration. Uh, but since then, two others have flown to the coast of California. And then three years ago, a monarch tagged in the Salt Lake City area was seen at a golf course in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so it's showing that southern movement. And um, it was the golf course up right near the Verde River. You kind of wonder the route this right. one took. And um, the people at the golf course were wonderful. Um, they were scheduled to mow. They came in, saw this monarch sipping dew on the morning grass, and they just <laughs> took the area off. And then about an hour and a half later, he flew away. Oh, wow. So we never know, you know, did he go on oh, yeah. or not? Really? Yeah. That's neat. That's neat. Yeah. 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 I've always, you know, you hear all this talk about Eastern populations and Western populations. And I personally think there's a whole lot more mixing of the two than what people like to admit to. Now, something that happened not very long ago, and I was wondering if you could comment on that, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service made their decision about whether to list the monarch as threatened or endangered. And a lot of folks, at least a lot of the you know, monarch nerds here in Ohio were kind of upset because they, they thought the fish and wildlife was kind of punting on the decision. Um, what are your thoughts on their decision to not list at this time? Um, we don't really take an official view on that um, okay. just because it's so controversial. But, gotcha. but here's the thing is given the situation they were in do we list do we not list this was like the middle ground well, you know what i mean right. this, this was that middle ground and i don't have the numbers at my fingertips um i'd have to look them up for you the day after the listing we were invited in to hear why they made this decision mm. and part of it is that there were so many other species that were higher on the list that needed to be listed Sure. Okay. Now, keep in mind that was before this year's winter overwintering, you know, the overwintering numbers came out. So who knows, they may have looked at it differently. And they did say they were going to be reviewing this every year. Oh. Right. So right now, um, monarchs look like they will be listed in 2024. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Uh, but that could change. I want to, it's fluid, you know what yeah. I mean? But that's yeah. what they, they're, it takes them a long time to do the paperwork to get everything in place and everything. And that's, it, you know, that's what it looks like. But um, there's also been, what will they do? If, if a, a population is in need of expanding, 
you plant their host plant, right. right? And you try to help them expand. And usually it's a small area, right? I mean, you know, the butterfly specialist that you are, you know that it's not every species in every place. Right. And here we have a, a, a butterfly that's all over the United States, you know, practically, you know what I mean? And okay. so how do you meet its needs? The numbers that are of uh, acres that have been planted, stem, uh, uh, stems of milkweed that have been planted are huge uh -huh. as a result of all these conservation funds from uh, NFWF that have been available for the last three, four years. Uh -huh. It takes a while from when you put those stems in the ground until they bear fruit, so to speak, of monarchs coming, right? right? I mean, it just takes a while. So there's already been, there's already been something done. Um, and I think that factored in from what they said to us as well. But, you know, it made a difference, you know. Sure. If people hadn't recorded what they did, uh, it, the situation could have been different. So basically they, they see the conservation effort already well underway. Yes. And as far as they're concerned, that buys them some time then basically. Right, because it's already taking place, right. you know, and it's continuing to. It's not like all those efforts are done. There's another call for uh, NFWF NIFWF grants being due soon, you know, to get their options in. We uh, wrote letters of support for several people that wanted to get them, you know. Oh, so um, it's ongoing. And those are the people that apply for those large grants. But what happens in neighborhood churches that say we want to put a whole new, you know, uh, landscaping in or neighborhoods or HOAs and things like that. So it's, sure. it's ongoing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I wanted to thank Gail Morris for talking to me there as a, a nice trip down memory lane. And so uh, our second part of that interview will air next episode when we will tackle the, uh, the question of whether monarchs are going extinct and Gail will, will provide some uh, feedback on that question. And so until then, take good care of those pollinators. Ridge Notes is sponsored by Butterfly Ridge Butterfly Conservation Center in the Hocking Hills of Southeast Ohio. Open every day but Tuesday, April 15th through October 15th.